Um, and we joined with a, another partners in Harvest Church there, and they were doing worship, and and then they announced they were going to, because it was all in Turkish, and we had a couple of translators that were trying to cover it. They weren't translating during worship, though, because it's too loud. And um, they said they were going to do communion, and they start saying, uh, they all start reading this thing on the screen. It was in Turkish, and, and, and I saw Pontius Pilate, and I'm like, they're reading the creed. Seriously. One week ago, just like we did today, the congregation stood together and recited the, the, the creed, just like we did, and then came up for communion. Wasn't that amazing? It was just great to be united in such a, even a specific way with a congregation of believers on the other side of the world, in the Muslim world. So, as we do church, <clears throat> we're joining with people all over the world that are doing church. Yeah. And there's, and I've been in many, many different cultures, and there's just some constants. And it's gone throughout all of, of 2,000 years. We gather together in Jesus' name to sing songs of praise. That's what church is. We, as a corporate, you can sing worship songs, you can listen to worship CDs, but there's something unique. Says so The Bible says that God inhabits the praises of His people. Yeah. And so God has promised to come in a unique way when we gather together to sing uh, His praise. <clears throat> And then there's communion, like we did this morning, and like we did last week in Izmir. And then there's the teaching of God's Word, which is uh, communicating God's truth. And, and then there's fellowship, where we get to know one another. So all of these aspects are just part of what it means to be a church. And uh, we get to be a, a church, and I'm excited. Speaking of church, another exciting, a lot of exciting things happened this week. <laughs> In addition to sending a team to Istanbul, last night we did our first weekly service in Vandalia. So, yeah. Woo! So, so as a church, we just birthed a church. Alright? How do you feel? <laughs> What's that? Uh, some of us who were down there, a little tired, yeah. <laughs> Kathy and I got home almost about 11 o'clock. But it was a lot of fun and um, new people and God is doing great things. And this is a critical time. We're going to be meeting Saturdays throughout the end of the year. And so this is a really critical time for us to to see uh, that, that brand new church take off and become uh, all that God wants us to be. So be praying specifically that people are joined to the congregation. Alright? Great. I need to run down because I forgot... What time I'm supposed to preach till? <laughs> yeah, ten. What? No, it doesn't say. Have it doesn't have time anymore. Thirty-five minutes. Ten forty. All right, we're going to continue the uh, Sermon on the Mount series um, because I, I'm determined to get through this. And uh, we're just going to pick up where we left off, even though uh, I heard the Mensers did a great job the last two weeks while I was gone. Did a good word. Yeah. <clears throat> we're going to continue going through the Sermon on the Mount. And, um, you know, the, the general theme of the sermon is Jesus' vision statement for His kingdom and what He expects of His disciples. So it's a great summary or, uh, or compilation of what Jesus sees as His kingdom. It, it describes what the life in the, uh, of the church and the life of uh, disciples, the life of believers 
is to look like and his intentions. The current section of the, uh, the sermon is focusing on Jesus' expectations of a disciple's religious life. Those things in his or her life that are, are expressions of their faith. Okay, so faith-based practices. That would be a good term. Um, the three most prominent faith-based based practices that were most prominent in Judaism. You know, Jesus uh, was a Jew born into a Jewish culture in a Jewish city. And so, um, in his day and in, in the Old Covenant, the three most common uh, practices, prominent ones, were charitable giving, alms and offerings, prayer and fasting. So we already covered charitable givings and prayer, and so now we're going to cover fasting. Could you go turn up the thermostat to 76? The timer got messed up. So today we're going to talk about fasting! I have actually been waiting a long time to talk about fasting. This is one of the reasons I wanted to do the Sermon on the Amount series, is that it gives me permission to talk about a lot of topics that you normally just don't cover in, in, a, in a sermon uh, a setting. Um, so the last of the faith-based practices that Jesus highlights is fasting. It's in Matthew 6, 16 through 18. Let's read it. It says, Moreover, when you fast, do not be like the hypocrites with a sad countenance. Everybody have a sad countenance. Okay. <clears throat> For they disfigure. Everybody disfigure your face. Alright. Well, that. <laughs> That they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. But you, when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, so that you do not appear to men to be fasting, but to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. And from the message, a uh, more contemporary translation of this, goes like this. It says, when you practice some appetite-denying discipline... To better concentrate on God, don't make a production out of it. It might turn you into a small-time celebrity, but you won't, it won't make you a saint. If you go into training inwardly, act normal outwardly. Shampoo and comb your hair, brush your teeth, wash your face. God doesn't require, God doesn't require attention-getting devices. Very important to remember. He won't overlook what you're doing He'll reward you well. So Jesus expects His disciples to fast. Because He says, when you fast. It doesn't say if you fast. Have you ever come around fasting? No, actually, there's an expectation. This is a Sermon on the Mount. This is Jesus defining what it means to be a Christian. He says, when you fast. Just like He said, when you pray. Pray as such. When you fast... Fast in this manner. And so there is an expectation uh, of fasting. And I think I like the, how the message interprets what fasting is. It's appetite-denying discipline to better concentrate on God. That's just a really good definition of what it means to do a fast. In, in contemporary Christianity, fasting is not a big Topic. I know a lot of people, we do fasting around here. And if, you, if you're around New Day long enough, you'll hear about people fasting. We did a 40-day fast. I think it was last year. Many people participated in that. But I just want to take time and, and discuss what Jesus says about fasting. And then I'm going to talk a little bit about some of the practical aspects of fasting as well. So Jesus used a familiar prayer when we talked about the Lord's Prayer. It's very familiar to a common Jewish prayer 
that uh, everyone in his audience that was listening to him would have been familiar with um, when, he, when he taught on the Lord's Prayer. Likewise, he assumes <clears throat> that his followers will continue with the familiar practice of fasting. So he's talking to people that understood the idea of fasting. and he's just, he's, So he's not starting from the beginning because the whole culture had it embraced. It was part of their cultural tradition. But he's telling us how to do it from a kingdom perspective or a kingdom, uh, form, uh, kingdom uh, character. So in the same, same format that he did in, in throughout the earlier part of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus gives us a negative example of the, of the hypocrites, or that can be translated pretenders, uh, and that's not the band. <coughs> Sorry. <laughs> and follows it with the positive example of how fasting should rightly be done. So a negative example followed by a positive example. And again, one of the purposes of this uh, series is to help us understand how to understand Scripture. And so you look for things like this. You look for patterns. Uh, Jesus has a pattern of giving a negative example and then following the positive example. Negative example, positive example. And that helps you understand Scripture if you pick up on those uh, clues of interpretation. So he goes, uh, continues on, he says, Do not be like a hypocrite with a sad countenance, for they disfigure the face, that they may appear to men to be fasting. Assuredly, I say to you, they have their reward. Strict Pharisees actually fasted two days a week, in addition to the annual fast that was required of all um, uh, Hebrews, all, all, all people in the Old Covenant were required just to fast on the Day of Atonement. But the Pharisees, um, they, they upped it significantly, and as a tradition, they fasted two days a week. Um, Jesus doesn't condemn fasting in any way, but he challenges his followers to fast in a way that's consistent with the character, his character, the character of the kingdom, and the character of God the Father. Alright? So, we need to fast, but we need to not fast for the reasons and the motivations that the Pharisees fasted, but we need to fast for the reasons and motivations that are consistent with Jesus' character, with the character of, of the kingdom. So we're reproducing the kingdom. And he goes on and, and he shares what that looks like. Right? He says, anoint your head and wash your face so that you do not appear to men to be fasting. But to your Father who is in the secret place, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you openly. So the Pharisees had the tradition of, of doing it in a way that everyone noticed. And Jesus is saying, that's not the right way to do a fast. In fact, it's the opposite way. And the right way is to do it so that the Father notices. Anoint your head and wash your face simply means to practice your regular daily routine. Okay? So hopefully we're all taking regular showers, <clears throat> combing our hair, alright? Using deodorant, which is one thing that the Turkish people need. Okay? You can buy everything in Turkey except deodorant. Oh my word. <laughs> And it's like 90 to 100 degrees, and they jam me in these subways. I'm serious. I was. Everybody's holding on to the arm rail. It was it was intense body odor, man. I'm telling you. So as the next mission, we're gonna hand out deodorant. God bless you. God bless you. 
They should have. They should have misters. <laughs> All right. So, so you need to practice. What it means, anoint your head, it doesn't mean you have to dress up special. It just means do your normal, regular, daily routine so that you look normal. Okay? You appear normal um, to, to those that you meet. <clears throat> so it's the same as with charitable giving and prayer. It's what's in secret that gains us a reward with our Father. Uh, I think some Christians kind of overdo it and try to keep it secret. They don't want anybody to know they're fasting. That's not the point. The point of Jesus is saying is don't make a show out of it. Mm-hmm. Okay? And if someone finds out you're fasting, it doesn't disqualify it. Um, <laughs> right? Uh, you know, hopefully people in your life, some people will know. They're close enough that they're, they're seeing that your behavior is different. But you're not doing it for show. <clears throat> so we have this term, your father who is in the secret place. And your father who sees in secret. So the emphasis is on the inward interaction with our Father, not the outward acts. The emphasis of everything in Christianity is on that inward interaction with the Father. The Father who is in the secret place. What does that mean? Think about that for a minute. Now, Jesus didn't say words that were meaningless. When Jesus said something, it had, it had purpose. He's commun- and he says this numerous times throughout this section of the... He's trying to communicate. When something is repeated, it's repeated for emphasis. And so Jesus is emphasizing that the Father is in the secret place. Don't you think that the secret place is, then, is therefore very, very important? All right? If God Almighty, the Creator of the universe, dwells in this, this, this place that Jesus calls the secret place, that makes the secret place holy, doesn't it? Mm-hmm. It's sacred. Do you know how to get to your secret place? Most people don't. Or they use the secret place to hide from God. Ooh. Oops. There. Forgetting that that's where he is. You're doing something in secret thinking that you're not being seen by God? You're doing it right in front of his face. Because God is in the secret place. Secret thoughts? That's, you're doing it right in front of... But the, see, now, in one sense, oh, that should scare you. And in one sense it should, but it should give you hope. Because God's right there where you have your struggle. Alright? He's right there. In fact, you can't get closer to God than in the secret place. So if you have secret stuff going on in your life, realize God's already there. Share it with Him. Reach out. Ask Him into that struggle. Because that's where He dwells. Does that make sense? Alright? This does not mean that the acts, the outward acts, are unimportant or optional. Far from it. No, well, if God's just in the secret place, then it doesn't matter what I do outwardly. That's actually a popular teaching in our day. You can go on, on, on the internet and find preachers preaching that, that message. Doesn't matter if you smoke marijuana. Doesn't matter if you sleep with people that aren't, you're not married to. Doesn't matter because it was all covered under the blood. Yeah. It's a heresy that prop, crops up every, every, about every century and a whole bunch of people get drawn into it 
and uh, they waste their lives with uh, fruitless uh, teaching. <clears throat> it matters. Um, the outward acts matters. Neglecting to do the actions that are expected and commanded is disobedience. Alright? That's one whole thing. Doing them with the wrong attitude or the wrong motivation or for only outward show is hypocrisy. So, disobedience is not better than hypocrisy. Can we all agree to that? <laughs> okay. Uh, <clears throat> what is required is that God, Christ calls us to do all of what is expected with the right attitude and the motive. Okay? So we need to combine it. And that motive is simply intimacy with the Father. Everything that Jesus taught, all of our religious practices, all of our faith-based practices are intimately tied with interacting with the Father who is in the secret place. It's not just outward acts of religiosity. It's, it's faith-based practices that we do out of or flowing from our relationship with our Heavenly Father who dwells in that secret place. They're the manifestation, they're the, the revealing of what's going on between us and God inwardly. And so fasting is one of those. <clears throat> the Life Application Bible talking about fasting says this, since fasting, going without food in order to spend time in prayer, is noble and difficult. <laughs> the Life Application Bible just makes it really simple. <laughs> it's noble. It's like it's really noble, but it's really difficult. Uh, it gives us time to pray, teaches self-discipline, reminds us that we can live with a lot less, and helps us appreciate God's gift. Jesus was not condemning fasting, but hypocrisy. Fasting in order to gain public approval. Fasting was mandatory for Jewish people once a year on the Day of Atonement. The Pharisees voluntarily fasted twice a week to impress people with their holiness. Jesus commanded, uh, commended acts of self-sacrifice done quietly and sincerely. He wanted people to adapt spiritual disciplines for the right reasons, not from uh, selfish desire for praise. So the idea of fasting is something that's very biblical, it's very New Testament, and it's something that Jesus uh, commended. He expects us to do it, and so all Christians should learn how to fast and should fast regularly. And so what I'm going to talk about from this point on is what I call grace-based fasting. <clears throat> I've found that most Christian fasting is legalistic. Right? And uh, people get into this mode, even when they do fast for the right reasons, they get legalistic about it. And, and I see negative fruit uh, coming from a legalistic fast. And I just have found a better way to fast that flows out of grace. And so I'm going to talk about that and how I fast and give you some tips. <clears throat> spiritual, or fasting as a spiritual discipline is one of the most powerful tools. I compare it to like the chainsaw, you know, of the tools. Uh, regular prayer is like a handsaw. <laughs> Alright? Fasting is like a chainsaw. It really has the power to cut down obstacles, to cut through walls, to cut through anything. If it's done correctly, it's power. Or another, another uh, way I compare it to is like power lifting. You know, you can do aerobic exercises, but boy, if you power lift, you're really going to build strength and mass. And, and that's what fasting is. It, it ups the level of your spiritual strength. <clears throat> there are four types, basic types of fasts, that are common in our world. That's fine, Tori. That one's all right. <laughs> this one, the computer was changed. That one wasn't. So, 
And plus, I'm getting hot and sweaty, so we're not air conditioning. Four basic types of fast. <clears throat> the first one is called the Daniel fast, and that's based in Daniel uh, 1, 8 through 12. So Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with a portion of the king's delicacies, nor with wine which he drank. So what happened is Daniel and a bunch of the Israelites had been um, captured. The, uh, Jerusalem and all of Israel had been conquered and taken to Babylon. And Daniel, because he was really smart and good looking, uh, like me, no, just go. <laughs> uh, he was selected because he had potential. And the uh, Babylonian king selected some of the, the key uh, leaders and put them in significant places. And, and so he was being trained to be a leader in Babylon. But he wanted to differentiate himself and, and the other uh, followers of Jehovah from the Babylonians. And so he didn't want to eat and drink what they did. And he requested of the chief of the eunuchs, that's the one who served all of the king's servants, that he might not defile himself. God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill with the chief of the eunuchs. So he was already in good standing with uh, this guy. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who has appointed your food and drink. For why should he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So this guy was afraid of getting his head cut off if he didn't take care of these people that he'd been put, put in charge of. Uh, so Daniel said to the steward whom, uh, uh, whom the chief of the eunuchs had set over Daniel, <clears throat> uh, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Those were the, uh, Dan, Dan's friends <laughs> and the four. He says, Please test your servant for ten days and let them give us vegetables to eat and water for drink. And, of course, the story goes on <clears throat> that he, he fasted uh, and they looked not only as good but better. All right, And so the Daniel fast is a general term for restricting your diet, but still eating. Daniel ate only vegetables, but it re could refer to sweets only or whatever you feel led. Huh? Sweets only? You no sweets up there. No sweets. <laughs> <laughs> restricting sweets. That's what I meant. So, you know, it's, it's a donut fast. All I eat is donuts. <laughs> <laughs> so, so a lot of people get I, I, people get confused over that this idea of a Daniel fast because some people have a very strict definition of what Daniel fast is, and other people uh, have differing fasts. And, and this is where people get really confused about how do you do a Daniel fast? And the Daniel fast is simply well, it just means you're still eating, but you're not eating your normal diet. Right. Uh, it, it, now some people say no Daniel fast is just vegetables because that's all Daniel ate well in this situation that's all he ate in another situation he ate a different uh, uh, he also fasted another time and so it actually is just a general term for restricting your diet um, if you want to interpret it as vegetables only God bless you that's great if someone else wants to so it's not like it's just a general term does that make sense? So we don't get uptight about what the general, a general term is a general term. It means any restriction of a diet uh, for the specific purpose of setting yourself apart from, from like Daniel in the world. And it's interesting that the way Daniel fasted, he fasted in a way that he appeared, just like Jesus said, to be 
in good health. He didn't bring attention to himself. Just the, the eunuch that was in charge knew because he was responsible for serving him food. But the king didn't know. Uh, no one else knew that he was restricting his diet. And so uh, uh, Jesus is actually uh, uh, in one way referring to Daniel's fast as an example. The other basic fast is called a juice fast. Um, which means consuming, again, interpreted generally, it means consuming only liquids. Alright? And this could be juice or smoothies. Some people interpret it anything that can fit into a blender. <laughs> I'm serious. I've seen people drink roast beef smoothies, okay? It's gross. <laughs> I, I, the way I do juice fast is, 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 is I start out, I'll get into this a little more, but you know, initially with more substantial juices, maybe with a banana or some yogurt in, but then taper that off and just get the juice. But uh, juice fast is uh, a great way to fast uh, because it, it, it gets around the, you don't suffer a low blood sugar and, and a lot of the problems that you have with a normal fast. Um, uh, you can avoid with a juice fast because you're having some intake of, of nutrition and, and uh, food. A normal fast, so when the Bible refers to fasting, most often it means abstaining from all food. So when Jesus fasted for 40 days, or when Moses went to the mountain for 40 days, they didn't eat any food. All right, Moses did a total fast when he was on the mountain, and he didn't eat any food or water. But he was in God's presence for 40 days. Jesus, when he was on the desert, 40 days, no food, but he drank water. So a normal fast is abstaining from all food. Uh, a total fast is abstaining from both food and water. A uh, normal fast and total fast should only be done uh, in the right way because it, it can damage your health. <clears throat> uh, a fast is not a diet. Okay? The focus cannot be just losing weight. If you're on a diet, that's great. Go on a diet. Um, fasting does have the benefit is that if you do it right, you'll lose weight. But most often when you fast, you end up gaining weight. <laughs> because when you come off the fast, you overcompensate. All right? So you have to be really careful. If you have health issues, um, you should talk to your doctor before you fast. All right? That's just wisdom. So the benefit of fasting is not in the amount of suffering. Please, if you remember anything about fasting from this message... This is the main point. This is what makes it grace-based fasting and not just legalistic. Is that the benefit of fasting is not in the amount of suffering. Right? Suffering is not the point. In fact, I think it's a distraction. That makes it, if, if you think that, then it's a works-based mentality. The Bible talking about fasting in Isaiah 58 says, Is it a fast that I have chosen, a day for a man to afflict his soul? Is is it to bow down his head like a bulrush and to spread out sackcloth and ashes? Would you call this a fast, an acceptable day of the Lord? In the context, the answer to that is no. That's the exact opposite of, 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 of you know, going through all this turmoil or anguish. And, and That's not the fast that Jesus requires. In Matthew 8, when Jesus fasted, he said he fasted 40 days and afterwards he was hungry. When I was a new Christian... I was I was born into this pretty intense congregation of believers that taught fasting 
a lot. And so I started out fasting. And they taught me, based on this verse and others, that if you feel hungry when you're fasting, your fast is over. Alright? They were in your face. If you're hungry, well, then that means you're done fasting. You ended your fast. What they meant by that is that um, if, you're, uh, if you begin to feel hungry uh, while you're fasting, it means you're not focused on what you're supposed to be focused on, which is intimacy with the Father. Or what I've found in years of fasting is that if I start feeling the pangs of hunger, uh, I'm lacking some essential nutrient, which is usually salt when you go for a longer period of time and I'm talking like more than a week or two uh, with just juice or just water you, you'll, you'll need uh, something like salt and so you just take a pinch of salt and a pinch or two tastes really good <laughs> after not eating and so the idea here is and I believe this I actually still believe this is that um, when you fast you shouldn't be thinking about food yeah. Yeah. You know, and some people they fast and they watch TV shows about food. <laughs> What's the point? Anyway, Bill Johnson jokes about that, uh, and because he's never heard this teaching. <laughs> There's a place. The way I learned how to fast is that you just just you just forget about food, and and. And it disciplines, and it's, I'm not saying it's easy. And there's usually a transition period. It's the first three days are hard. But once you get to the place where you're actually in fasting mode, it's actually wonderful. It is, it energizes, Kathy can tell you, I, my energy level doubles or triples. Uh, can you get quicker thinking? I can think much, much quicker. I uh, so tuned into the Holy Spirit. It just works. Um, <clears throat> and I don't even think about food or eating um, like exercising fasting has some unpleasant aspects but overall can be enjoyable right? but you need to learn how to do it so the idea is you actually can enjoy fasting um, and, and, and you have to have the expectation here's some recommendations how to fast in a way that uh, works you begin by setting a start and end date and starting at sunset uh, the days in the Bible, uh, biblical culture began at sunset and went to sunset. So that's a great way. So if you're going to do a 24-hour fast, a one-day fast, really you don't even go a day without eating. Because you can eat and, and then not eat once the sun sets on, say, Sunday. And then once the sun sets on Monday, you can have a meal. So you just fasted one day. From, you fasted 24 hours, but you ate on Sunday and you ate on Monday. Does that make sense? So one day fast is actually really easy. Uh, <clears throat> probably is, you know, you don't gain a lot from it, but it's better. It's a good way to start. Uh, de- determine in advance what you'll abstain from, but be flexible. Grace, grace. All right, not legalism. So you're gonna, this is what you're going to fast, but. Be, be open to altering it as you're going. Minor fasts like no sweets or no TV or no internet are fine, but they're not nearly as powerful in deepening your intimacy with the Father as more restrictive fasts. Okay? So it's fine to do those kind of fasts, but don't expect a lot of benefit from them. Alright? Some people will say, well, I'm doing too much internet, so I'm going to fast internet to break the power of it. And that's fine, and hopefully it'll help you. But for really deepening your intimacy and entering into a, a deeper spiritual experience, you need to go to a more restrictive type of fast. <clears throat> um, for a regular fast or a juice fast, 
Begin by eliminating red meat prior to your fast, and then all meat. Okay. So, but before your fast, you, you, you get your body. You gradually taper this stuff down. If you don't do a fast right, you can suffer serious physical uh, illness. Uh, uh, I know of one person. More specific, like for about three days, you'll avoid red meat, and then three days you'll avoid no meat, and then you'll start your fast. Right. So, so over the course of a week, I, I, I don't. I stop eating red meat. I don't eat a lot of red meat anyway, so it's easy for me. And then for a few days before my fast, I don't eat any meat at all. So my, my body's already kind of used to not eating meat, just down to vegetables, soups, and things like that. And then I start my fast. Um, it's over gradual day, uh, several days to get used to it. And then you drop down to just uh, juice and smoothies. And I usually do smoothies depending on my body. It just depends on how my body feels. So the last time I did a juice fast, I was planning on doing smoothies for like three days to a week. But by the second day, I didn't like the smoothie anymore. It was too heavy. And, it, and then I felt hungry in the afternoon. I'm like, what's the deal with that? And so I just stopped putting the yogurt and the banana in and I just had a little glass of juice. Uh, and so it's... it's uh, it's variable, so you cut back gradually, <clears throat> and you want to, and then, and then get to the place where you just dilute uh, a juice fast. Normally, is like 50% juice, a glass with half juice, half water, or sparkling water, every few hours, just to maintain your sugar level, uh, and that's all you need. And you can go for weeks. This year, I started the year with a 40-day fast. Nobody, hardly nobody in the church even know it. I fasted for 40 days, just juice. I did, I did this this process right here. Um, <clears throat> at the end, gradually introduce new uh, food items. Again, so when you end your fast, the same way that you introduce the fast, you do it gradually. The first time I did a, a five-day fast, it was years and years ago. Uh, it was before my baptism, and I got baptized, and then they had this feast. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. I ate a bunch of food, and I was in horrible pain because my body it might you, you the goal in fasting is actually to shut down your digestive system okay and sipping a little juice can be absorbed by the stomach so your intestines basically go into hibernation um, a third of your calories that you eat every day go to just maintaining your digestive system all right 30 percent of the energy you use just goes to maintaining your digestive so cutting that out gives you a boost of energy all right and so this is why if you get down to just sipping juice your digestive system can shut down, and that's when you really get the, um, it, it kicks in. Trust me, you got to do it. I challenge you. Come on, do it. Uh, <clears throat> intentionally keep your, okay, this is after the fast. Intentionally keep your portions small for at least two weeks to avoid binging. Because you're going to want to. Once you start eating again, it's like the beast awakens. <laughs> And that's when discipline comes in or else you'll end up uh, regretting it. So remember, the benefit is not how much you suffer, but rather increased self-control and greater spiritual sensitivity. That's a big part of it. So grace-based fasting means it's okay to adjust uh, based on how you feel, what you eat. Uh, I often, and this is how I normally do fast now, is I do juice throughout the day and then before bed I'll have a slice of bread with like peanut butter or peanut butter and honey on it because that's enough to carry me through the night. I'm not going to wake up in the middle of the night and feel uh, the headache or something. It, it just lasts me through the night and that's it. I did 40 days doing that uh, earlier this year and it was great. 
Also during fast, having a bite of something is not violating a fast. It's funny. It was like, so the, you know, Emily was working on a bake. Well, she wasn't working there yet, but somebody, there'd be something really nice. We'd go out to eat. That's the hardest part. When, the hardest part I've learned in fasting is, is that you don't have the family time of eating together. You really see the importance of it. But sometimes they'd have something and I'd take a little bite and my kids would say, what if God saw you do that? I'm like, God did see me do that. <laughs> but these are, it's, that's okay. You know, I'm following the Spirit. Now, if you eat a whole meal, that's not fasting. But having a bite of something is not like a big deal. Because it's grace-based. It's not like uh, earning. It's, it's following the Spirit and still being able to, to interact uh, uh, socially. Another thing that's important is that in our day, juice fasts are probably as difficult, if not more so, than uh, normal fasts were in Jesus' day. And this I actually got off a, a medical doctor um, has a whole website on fasting. And, and this made powerful impact on me because he, he related the pace of our day and the amount of information that we have to process, which takes a lot of energy, is so much more. Uh, than, than in their day where they could take significant uh, portions of their day and be alone. So a juice fast is, is rigorous and difficult as a normal fast. In fact, normal fasting, if you're working, I don't recommend it. If you're working or if you're at home taking care of kids, uh, a normal fast of, of water only for more than a day or two is not recommended. It's very, very difficult. Uh, if you do fasting, whatever kind of fasting, it's best to take time alone to remove distractions from your life. Um, and a water fast should be done mostly or exclusively on a retreat. Even Jesus, when he fasted 40 days, went out into the desert to be alone. You know? Because you know? when you're fasting, people annoy you. <laughs> fasting reveals issues. That's part of the benefit. Okay? Use that time to sort out those issues with your Father in the secret place. Fasting reveals issues. That's part of the benefit. Your fast is a failure. That doesn't mean your fast is a failure. That means it's actually producing something. So if you, if you experience anxiety or, or uh, <clears throat> uh, conflicts, uh, depression, while you're fasting, uh, spiritual assaults. Jesus was assaulted by the enemy when he was fasting. That's part of fasting. So be, respond to those things with sensitivity and, and, and invite the Father into that. That doesn't mean your fast is a failure. That actually means you're, you're taking ground you're overcoming and just like Jesus overcome you can have confidence you can overcome too last thing I'm going to say is that a fasted life refers to developing a lifestyle where fasting is not just occasional but routine um, and uh, and it can refer to always having something in your life that you're fasting. Uh, it's keeping that uh, secret place free of clutter so that you can have intimacy with the Father on a greater level. Amen. Amen. Good. Pastor. That was great. Okay, so in a moment we will be taking the offering, but before that, I want to highlight the connection card. It's in the pocket in front of you. It's the tallest card. That is the connection card. And you can use it to contact the care team, share prayer requests, testimonies. You can respond to today's message, um, sign up for events, and, and, and more on there. So please utilize that. If you're new to New Day and you've never done this, please take your card back to the connection counter in the back. We have a gift we'd like to give you for being our guest. And we would like to um, meet you and get to know you a little bit. Thank <laughs> you.
Um, so you can sign up for the men and boys camping trip on that. We are going again. I'm not. The, the men and boys are. My husband and son will be there. They're very excited. It's, it's always a lot of fun. They come back. It's such a highlight. So if you are male, please consider going and, um, and sign up for that on the connection card or you can sign up online. And another announcement I want to highlight is next week we are going to be having an amazing bake sale for the MOPS group, which I happen to be a part of and am so blessed to to um, participate in. This is an amazing ministry that blesses the mothers of infants, preschoolers, and kindergartners. And our group